Kings Insider Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com. Introducing your host, Sacramento Kings Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me today, a guest that I've had on plenty of times on podcasts, one of my favorite guys to drop serious knowledge on the NBA salary cap, Mr. Larry Kuhn of the CBA FAQ. Larry, how's it going? It's going great, James. Good to be talking to you. Yeah, it's been a long time. And, you know, there's so much to talk about right now with the salary cap. I don't even know where to start. But let's just start. What are your projections? We keep seeing numbers floating around everywhere. The salary cap is going to jump to 89 million. And then we're seeing 90 and now maybe even 92 million. What is your latest figure? Uh, The league recently sent out uh, pr- new projections to all the NBA teams. And fortunately, I've had a chance to get my hands on those projections. So I do know what the league is actually projecting here and the numbers that the teams are actually working with. For 2016, the league is currently projecting a $92 million cap, which will put the tax level at 111. Wow. And, and now, you've seen all of these numbers thrown around. Is this just the most insane thing that you've seen And how do you think it's going to impact this particular free agency? Yeah, it's big enough that everybody in the league is going to have to do that mental recalibration just to get used to it, just to get used to the fact that a $10 million contract is going to be a mundane salary. It's it's just really bizarre. Every time I look at something, I'm I'm going, oh, this guy's probably going to get, you know, $15 million. And you go, what what the heck? But (laughs) <laughs> you know, because in a normal year, you know, it would have ramped up slowly over time. Okay, when you look at now versus 15 years ago, the jump was huge, but it incremented up slowly. So every year we get used to the slightly higher amount. But this year was such a big jump, it's just going to completely change the way that the league does business. And that's the weird thing to get used to. The other difficult part about this is that it's all hitting at once in the 2016 free agent market. So remember the league proposed to the union that they do what they call a cap smoothing idea, which would keep the money from hitting the cap all at once. Now the players would have gotten the same amount of money some total anyways, because keeping the cap down would have meant that they couldn't play the pay, pay the players enough to keep up with the revenue increases. And the players are guaranteed it's going to be 51, 51% of the revenues. So if the league can't pay the players that the, the guaranteed share of revenues, they have to give the players the difference. If they fall $100 million short, they have to cut a check for $100 million. That goes to the union. The union distributes that to every player in the league. So it would have been a nice thing if they had done the cap smoothing because all the extra money would have been distributed to everybody, guys who are locked up in long-term contracts still would have seen a windfall from this new TV deal. As it turned out, the union rejected that deal. So what's going to happen is that all the money is going to go to the 2016 free agent class. There's going to be a few people who are very happy 
But a lot of the guys in the league who are still locked into a smaller, you know, into long-term deals that they signed last year or the year before or the year before that, they're going to be waiting for their turn. Now, next year, in 2017, there's going to be another big cap increase. So right now, the league is projecting not exactly as big of a jump. They're projecting it to go to 107 in 2017, so a $15 million jump. And after that, it's going to start to calm down. 105 in 2018, 106 in 2019, 112 in, in 2020. But that means that after this year and next year, we're not going to see players becoming free agents in a year in which the cap makes a big jump and therefore all, almost all the teams have a lot of cap room to offer people. It's going to go back to only a few teams have cap room and less of a seller's market. Okay, so one of the problems this year is that you know you, you don't have enough max free agents really. You know the guys you would really consider to be max free mm-hmm. agents. You don't have enough of those to uh, fill up all the salary slots that are going to be available. You have several teams that are going to have enough room for two max salary slots. You know the Lakers are going to have sixty, could be sixty-five million dollars, for example. Two thirds of the league is going to have enough uh, to offer. A player a max salary and with minimum salaries in place teams are going to have to spend this money they're they're supposed to be spending at least 90 percent of the cap so what's going to happen is that okay the kevin durant's and the mike conley's and the al horford's they're going to get a max deal but they were going to get a max deal anyways but then you're going to get still most of the league with a lot of cap room that they need to spend. So that next year free agents, the guys, uh, maybe they're a max, maybe they're not, are going to get a max salary. And then once they're taken up, the guys in the next year below that are, are, are going to be looking at all these teams who are looking at just a few players that they got to spend money on, and they're going to be offered, offered big deals. You're going to get to a situation where guys who really don't deserve a max salary by any definition of it are going to be getting huge contracts because the teams have to spend the money. Now, a couple, just a couple of points on that. One is that teams will probably try and do it on short-term deals. It's like, yeah, okay, we got to spend this money. We'll give it to you because we have to, but it's going to be on a one-year deal, dude. We're not giving you a multi-year deal. <laughs> and, you know, and that could happen. But again, this is the mother of all sellers' markets. So if you're a guy who's like one of those you know, players who – it doesn't really deserve a max, but you're going to get one anyways. And Team A is offering you a twenty million dollar contract for one year, and Team B is offering you you know forty for two years. You're going to go with Team B. So you're still dealing with supply and demand here. So players, I think, are going to get put into contracts, really what we would consider to be bad contracts by any stretch of the imagination. The trend over the years has been to reduce the, the amount of dead salary that's been in the league by shortening deals. You know, teams are getting a little bit smarter about what they're offering players. They're not locking into, you know, the full mid-level exception for maximum years, which historically has been the worst contract teams can offer. They're, they're getting better, but this year is going to force the teams to give contracts that are bad contracts that are going to end up at being bad salary. Now, the other point I wanted to make was that it doesn't have to go that way because even though teams are required to spend up to 90% of the cap, 
the the penalty if they don't spend 90% of the cap is whatever that difference is, they just pay it to their own players. So I think it's a viable strategy that teams intentionally violate that rule. They spend less than 90% of the cap because they don't want to get locked into bad salaries. And also they know that their own guys are going to get a, a, a share of that money. That's the difference. In fact, it could even be a recruiting enticement, right? So you're some team... You know, you're Washington. You want to, you just signed Scotty Brooks, and you want to go out for Kevin Durant. You could say, "Hey, Kevin, we're going to intentionally not spend up to ninety percent of the cap, which means at the end of the year you're going to get above the max because you're going to get the max plus you're going to get this extra bonus check at the end of the year because we don't meet the minimum salaries." Hmm. So it is. I mean, there's so many nuances to what's going to happen here, and I think it's very confusing for the the common fan. But I think the one of the guys that you're you're talking about that could get a lot more than maybe he he should get is Ryan Anderson. And he's a guy that likes Sacramento. Sacramento likes him. Uh he's a Sacramento boy. Uh is he one of those guys that you look at and you go, man, he's gonna get he's gonna get twenty mil. He's gonna get twenty two mil. Something crazy. <laughs> I think he's absolutely one of the guys that's getting up there. Again uh, the, the question really is, is it going to be in a shorter term deal or, or in a longer term deal? You, you, you wonder about guys like Rajon Rondo, um, who, you know, he was way up there and he took a pay cut when he signed with Sacramento this year. Well, is he going to look to get paid? You know, and what happens when he's coming off of a $9.5 million contract in this seller's market? And are the Kings going to want to pay that? Yeah, and I don't think they are. I think that that they're going to let him shop himself to teams like the Knicks who have been sniffing around, and I think it's going to open up a whole new can of worms because do you want to lock in with a 30-year-old guy for three or four years at $60 million? And that's a lot of money, and I don't think he proves that it works, that that his, his numbers equate to wins. And so that's really tough. And I think a lot of people around the league are going to be faced with a similar issue when it comes to so many of these players. How much do I invest? Do I invest 10% or 15 or 20% of my overall cap in a guy that may or may not result in wins? Right. And do I risk three years where it's really going to hurt me down the line? I was, I was even joking with Roy Hibbert, who had a phenomenally bad year, right? Yes. <laughs> just, and I, I was joking with him, man, you couldn't pick a better year to become a free agent. <laughs> he he was laughing at me. He goes, well, yeah, we'll see. But this is a guy who, who, because he's big and because it's the year that it is, even coming off of a phenomenally bad season, especially defensively, I, you know, he could still get another big payday. It, it's just amazing. You know, I was going to bring up a player or a group of players that uh, guys like Costa Kufis, who the Kings signed to a four-year, $33 million deal, and Marco Bellinelli, who they sent to a three-year, $19 million deal. So both of these guys have two years left on their deals, and their salaries coming into this new world are very reasonable. I mean, if I'm looking at Roy Hibbert at $10 million a year or Costa Kufis at $8 million a year and he's locked up for three years— I think I go with Kufis. So is there going to be an increase in value in your mind yeah. for players like this? Absolutely. Uh, because teams that 
don't see the market out there to really sign the guy that they're going to want to have are going to look at, at other teams to say, hey, are there any guys who we do want to have, we do want to develop, who are on a reasonable salary, and we can devote some salary to those guys. I think that Kufus is one of those guys. You know, I think DeMarcus Cousins, I really don't have a read on whether the Kings are really intent on trading him, but he has what could be considered, you know, a real value contract right now. So if the Kings were willing to move them, they could probably get a ton from him because, you know, at, at 17 million and then 18 million, that's a steal compared to what guys like that are going to be able to get on the open market. Yeah, when you look at Damari Carroll making the same amount as Demarcus Cousins this season, then you know <laughs> that he's a steal. I mean, it, it's kind of the dynamic of, of signing a, a rookie year contract, a rookie deal, and not knowing, or his second deal after his rookie deal, and not really knowing that the salary cap is going to jump like this, uh, this huge balloon, or really not even having the option. I mean, the Kings put a four-year deal on the table, and, and he took that. He didn't want the fifth year. And so now you're looking at a player that already has tremendous value in the league as a player, but you add into the element that he's probably worth an additional 8 to $12 million in value as to what the market value for him would be. So do you think that that in itself will actually have a monetary value, a, a first-round pick value, or some other value that you know would add to his deal? Yeah, I think a first-round pick value is a great way of putting it. I think that a team like the Kings is going to be in the driver's seat for being able to name their price. And they're really going to shoot high if if they're smart about it. Okay, so we've got all of these other players that I, I want to talk about. Um, and sort of, it's weird because we're talking about the high-end guys. But what does this mean for the one-year, two-year deal or the, the league minimum salary guy? Because clearly, if all the salaries go up, the league minimum salary is going to go up as well. So does that mean a guy like Seth Curry, who opts out and is now a restricted free agent, does he is he going to be up for even a, a slight kick in his pay, even if he were to have to sign another minimum deal? Uh, or, or Go ahead. Oh, well, the problem is that um, the, the minimum salaries, and it's also the same problem with the um, rookie scale salaries for first round picks and with exceptions like the mid-level and like the biannual exception, they are not tied to the cap. So they are, or nor are they tied to revenues. They were just pre-negotiated back in 2011 when they did this deal. So what uh. happens is that as the cap jumps tremendously, the mid-level and the minimums and the rookie scales just make their normal little incremental jump. So they become tremendous values for the teams, but a really bad deal for the players. In fact, when you look at, you know, the players and the league both have an opt-out at um, for 2017. Mm -hmm. And December 15th of this year is when either side would have to take it. The players are going to take it for sure because everything's just getting too lopsided. When they did the deal... Back in 2011, they knew that the new TV deal was going to be coming up in 2016. You know, they, they know when their contracts expire. So what they did was to say, rather than try and predict what's going to happen economically with the league, let's just build in an escape hatch for 2017. We can play a year under the new deal, whatever that turns out to be. And then if either side wants out, you can get out. We'll negotiate a new deal in 2017. So they negotiated a 10-year deal with an opt-out after, what was that, five years, six years? 
so they're going to opt out for sure because the new TV deal changed the landscape so much as to make the previous agreement just completely unworkable again, more so for the players than for the owners. And the other thing about that is that remember the biggest point in the negotiation in the last agreement, it's really the biggest point in the negotiation for any agreement, is the split of revenues. How much of the revenues go to players? And it was 57. The league just said that was completely unsustainable. They had the lockout. They they agreed to 50% plus or minus a point. And, you know, the players are going to get that point. So it's going to be 51% this year and for the rest of the agreement as long as it stays. And, but the players feel like for they, they took one for the team. They said, okay, we're going to help you get things, you know, right the ship on this one, get back in the black. Even though we don't totally believe everything you're saying about how, you know, 21 teams are losing money, but we will do this for the sake of well, our own salaries, you know, having them, you know, and having the league continue. But now the narrative is, Hey, it's, it's 2017. We took one for the team, but the league is very healthy right now. The new TV deal hit, salaries are skyrocketing, you know, the, the revenues are skyrocketing. You know, our salaries are skyrocketing too, but they could be skyrocketing even more compared to what we were making before. And, you know, franchise values are going, you know, just shot through the roof. So, and, and the players don't get any of that. So the players are going, hey, we took one for the team when the league was not healthy. And now the league's healthy, so we want to be made whole again. So the players have double incentive to opt out of the, the last deal. So we're going to see uh, some really screwy stuff for 2016, but then we're going to have a, the CBA reopen in 2017, and we'll see what happens after that one. But I would think that they would fix a lot of these problems that we're seeing. One of the pr- predominant ones being that these exceptions like the minimum salary exception, the mid-level exception, you know, and the rookie salary scales are just so lopsided compared to what their peers are earning. Yeah, I, I mean, how does Carl Anthony Towns look at this? He's got, you know, basically three to four more years locked up on a on a rookie deal where he's going to be worth, you know, $25, 30000000 million to his team. On, and if he was on the open market, he would get that with no problem. Right. So, but, but one of the things that they negotiated was, you know, the, the the players coming into the league, you know, at least the first chunk of them, the first 30 picks in the draft, the first rounders are locked into a what essentially is a four year contract if they perform well, you know, and shorter than that if they don't perform well. So it's a very team favorable contract because the team gets them for four years and then they have restricted free agency rights or the ability to extend them. So the team is locking them up for, it could be nine years. And the first four years of that are at an extremely reasonable salary. So that's very team favorable. And I think the players are going to want to say, hey, for these guys who are coming into the league and really doing well, we want them to have the ability to get paid earlier. So I think that'll be one of the negotiating points for the next agreement as well. So you're looking at Adam Silver as the new guy who's going into this battle against the owners. What are your thoughts? Is there going to be a lockout or are we going to avoid that? Because he seems to be pretty progressive and he also seems to see the writing on the wall and know where this is heading. He's already done a lot of things to make keep the players happy, uh, extend All-Star Weekend, you know, try to limit travel. He's done a lot of proactive things. So what is it that you see... Uh, coming up here with the labor unrest, is it going to 
smooth through here or are we going to have another work stoppage? Yeah. So, well, one thing is, you know, Adam really isn't the new guy because he was the deputy commissioner before and he was the guy that negotiated the 2011 agreement. You know, David Stern was just kind of the closer that came in at the last minute. Adam did all the heavy lifting there. And yeah, I love the way Adam thinks about stuff. I love the way he tries to be a little bit more congenial with the union than David Stern ever was. And you know, one of the wild cards is Michelle Roberts, as opposed to Billy Hunter. You know, there was a thing where Billy and David kind of, they knew each other, they knew what was going to happen. But, you know, when Michelle took over the job, she really raised the storm. She set the tone for what the players are going to do. Now, I think that she backed off a little bit over time. Maybe that was just mellowing. You know, she just had to sort of draw that line in the sand just to let the league know that the union is not going to let themselves get run over in any way, shape or form. And Adam is saying that they've been having productive talks. Okay. But those are early talks and you can have productive early talks and then it can all go to hell at any point in time once you start to get close. So she's one wild card. The other wild card is the other owners. And when you look at the negotiations in past years, you had David Stern, really having the owners under control and you know hurting them and getting them to speak as one voice but that's changed in the last six nine ten years as a lot of these new newer younger owners took over you know the josh harris's the guys like that where they're not necessarily going to be david's guys and i think you started to see factions and owners developing even in the 2011 agreement where David had his guys who were in line with him, but there was a pretty strong vocal contingent of owners who really wanted to put the hammer down. And, you know, they were pushing for that 48% hard cap and, and a lot more stringent um, deal points and being a lot less amenable to what the players were looking for. So the question there would be, how vocal are those guys going to be this year? And is Adam going to be able to control those guys or you know, corral them like David did? But the overall point, though, I think is this. In 2011, like I said, the league was unhealthy. They were, you know, they opened the books. And you can say, okay, their tax returns were falsified and their, you know, their, their um, year-end statements were, were cooked and all that to make it look like they were losing money. But, you know, they opened everything up and you're getting into conspiracy theory territory when you start saying that their tax returns were doctored to make it look like they were losing money. And they opened those up to the, to the players. So two-thirds of the league was really losing money. And the league considered that to be a completely unsustainable system. So in 2011, you had a situation where the, the league would rather not do business at all than do business in, a, in an unsustainable system. So they were ready to throw in the season for the sake of getting a new deal. Now this year, or, or 2017, when they're going to negotiate a new deal, the situation is a lot different. The, the league, you know, the revenues are a lot higher. The league's in a very healthy state. The revenue sharing took over, you know, other changes in the CBA that were meant to level out the playing field a lot more. You know, the players took a lot less of the share. So the league's in a really good shape right now. And now it's not so much a matter of, my God, we got to fix the league. In other words, we can't keep going. Now it's a matter of how are we going to share this huge windfall equitably and not kill the goose that laid the golden egg? 
So if you look back at 2005, which was the agreement before the 2011 agreement, there was a lockout then too, but it only lasted a few days. You know, July 1st came, they didn't have a new agreement in place. So the league said, okay, we, we impose a lockout until we get this figured out because we can't do business without a CBA. They came to an agreement within a few days, lifted the lockout, everything went on, on its merry way. I think because there's so much money there and I I think it's going to be a lot easier to find a spot where both sides can agree on it. And I think the league could probably, unless, again, some of these hardline faction of voters really speak up and want to drive home a harder deal. I think everybody's going to be a lot more amenable to a new deal. And while there, you know, I think it would be a lot more like 2005 than 2011 or 1999, where there will be a short lockout, but they'll figure it out long before they would have to lose any games. All right, so I know we both got a busy day. Uh, you and I both have youth events to go to 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 help our, to support our kids. But I want to ask you one last question, and you can make this as quick or long as you want. But uh, Seth Curry, uh, a lot of Kings fans loved what he did down the stretch. They thought that he played extremely well, probably the best shooting guard the Kings have had for a couple of years, surprisingly. He opts out of his his. Uh, player option for this coming season he's got three years in the league he's a restricted free agent what does it mean for the kings uh you know when you look at potential gilbert does he fit into the gilbert arenas rule does he not is he just gonna make as much as some team wants to throw at him kind of explain what it means for seth curry so the, the Gilbert Arenas provision, first of all, is for players with either one year or two years in the league. And Seth Curry is going to have three years in the league, so he's not going to qualify for that. And the only reason the Gilbert Arenas provision exists is because when players, well, when second round draft picks sign their first contracts, they're typically minimum deals, which means that they're no more than two years. So when they enter free agency, they're an early bird free agent. And you get if the guy is a productive player in the league, you can have a situation where another team, even though he's a restricted free agent, another team can make an offer sheet to that restricted free agent that the team can't match because they're over the cap. They only have early bird rights and they just got to let the guy walk away. So this happened with Gilbert Arenas, um, which is why that's he's the rules namesake. So they changed the rules so that when players in that situation become free agents, the offer sheets to those players are limited to the amount of the mid-level exception, which is also the amount of the early bird exception, which guarantees that the team is going to have the right to match and keep their own player. And it's, it's kind of a weird way that they guarantee that, but you know it works. But you also create situations where Daryl Morey was able to give um, Jeremy Lin and Omer Sieg a, a offer sheet that had a poison pill in it, and he was able to get both of those players on the Rockets. Value that as you may. Um, so Seth Curry's not in that situation because he's going to have three years in the league. But the Kings are still only going to have early bird rights to him. So it's not like if they're over the cap, they're going to be able to match any offer. So he's in one of those weird situations where he's in that situation but doesn't qualify because of, of, of the extra year that he has in the league. Um, what's going to happen is that, you know, he – because he has three years in the league, any player with three years or fewer is going to be a restricted free agent. And other teams will be able to come in and make offers. But the Kings 
are situated where they could have a lot of room under the cap this year. I mean, if they let everybody go, they could be looking at, you know, 25, maybe a little bit less than that under the cap. The question is, how much of that is going to have to go to a guy like Curry? And he's one of those prime guys where other teams are looking at this going, okay, I can give a bad contract to this guy over here who probably doesn't deserve it, or I can overpay Seth Curry a little bit based on his potential, what he's done for us recently, and the fact that he's still young. And even though he's restricted, you know, maybe I'm I'm offering enough so that the Kings are going to hesitate before matching that offer sheet, and maybe he can be pried away. You know, if you look at other guys in a similar situation, you look at like Jordan Clarkson for the Lakers, mm-hmm. who is in that Gilbert Arena situation, I, the Lakers would match any offer on him, even if they didn't have to because of the Gilbert Arenas rule. But Curry might be one of those guys where other, where they could hesitate before matching a crazy offer. So you might very well see a crazy offer for him. A crazy offer for Seth Curry. Well, we're going to leave it right there. Larry, thanks so much for dropping by. Uh, We'll have to have you on again because I know this thing is going to get confusing for fans as we go through the the off season and into free agency on july 1st so we'll have you back on hopefully and uh thank you so much for coming on absolutely when we come back we'll review what actually happened with seth <laughs> that's right all right maybe somebody out there will mistake him for steph <laughs> all right awesome thank you so much larry for coming in it's uh it's always a pleasure to have you on all right james thanks a lot